God bless you. I need to go to work. Will you stand, please, and honor the word of the Lord? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. We started something last week. I did it in, uh, just to satisfy an awful lot of people that interestingly showed up at the same time. And uh, many years ago, I did this. And uh, they said, would you do some of that again? So we will. Soon I want to do something called heart attack. It's something that many, many years ago I did, and it's gone around the world. And so I want to do it again for you. But I've got just uh, at least one more Sunday. We're studying Jesus. This is Jesus Lesson 2. And the subject simply is, the right Jesus will require the right Jesus. All right? You understand in a moment. God bless you. You may be seated. When the word of the Lord is properly delivered, the sinner gets evangelized, the saint gets edified, and the Lord is glorified. Because when the name of Jesus is preached, it establishes the house of the Lord. That's why Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You'll notice in these verses that I've read, Paul doesn't refer to Jesus Christ. He always refers to Christ Jesus. There's a reason for that as far as I'm concerned. The, the syntax, the order that these words are used is very important. Because when he first shows up, he is known as Jesus of Nazareth. But later on, he is called the Christ Christ is a Greek word, Christos, which means the anointed one. The only one that could be the anointed one was Messiah, that Jehovah would take on flesh and come bodily and physically to the earth. And when you think of the other apostles who refer to Jesus Christ, that was the order of their introduction. First of all, they knew him as Jesus of Nazareth, and then he resurrected and he was known as Jesus Christ. But see, Paul was not one of those original ones. He, he met Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. The only, he said later in Corinthians 15, and last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due season. You see, when Paul first met Jesus, it was post-resurrection. He was already the Christ. He was already known as the Messiah. And so to many that were there in the beginning, he was Jesus Christ, but not to Paul. He was Christ Jesus. And the order of that introduction was very important because contrary 
to popular opinion. The real power is not with the president and the White House. It's not with the governor and the state house. It's not with the CEO and, the, and I guess what you would call the corporate house. It's not even in your four-bedroom brick house. The real power should be in the Lord's house. There is no greater book than the Bible. Bible to me is an acronym, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. <laughs> and no other book can take you from where the devil left you to where God wants you. It says in Romans 12 and verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I don't want to bore you with stale statistics, but there are two very powerful words that you need to understand in Romans 12, conformed and transformed. In the original language, conformed is schematizo. It's, it, it, it means to fashion-like or as the same pattern to be conformed is take on the mind and the character of a person, a, a place, or a thing that, that's foreign to you. To be conformed is the, the act, you know. To, to Look what he said, don't be conformed to this world. So what he is saying is, is, is that you, you are assuming an outward expression uh, of, of something totally opposite from what Jesus did to you. He, he's saying, since you've got Jesus on the inside, don't, like, don't act like the devil on the outside. Don't be conformed to this world. The next word is transformed. It's um, metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. Um, a good illustration of this is a, is a caterpillar. It uh, uh, goes into a cocoon. When you first meet them, they're green and dark and small and crawling. And, and, but when it comes out, it's bright and it's colorful and it's big and it's flying. It has been transformed and uh, it means altered. It means conversion, modified, uh, change. I, I, am, I am here today to preach Jesus because I can't change anything. But the Jesus that I'm preaching to you today has created the world. You don't have to take my word for it. Let's take his word for it. Because in Romans 5 and 1, Paul uses the word justification. In 1 John 2 and verse 22, it uses a word called propitiation. In Corinthians 5 and 1, there's the word imputation. Justification is a change in your status. Propitiation is a change in your relationship. Imputation is a change in your accounts. When you get truth, that, that, that is a change in your reality. When you get mercy, that's a change in your heart. When you get faith, that's a change in where you place your confidence. When you get peace and joy, that's where you get a change in your emotion. When you get love, that's a change in your affection. When you get converted, that's a change in your direction. When you get remission, that's a change in your sentence. When you get revelation, that's a change in your knowledge. When you get adopted, 
That's a change in your family. When you get resurrection, a change in substance. And when Jesus thinks it's time, we're going to go to the new Jerusalem, which is a change in address. This is about metamorpho. This is about transformation. This is about things being altered and modified. We have the only wise God. I'm not saying there aren't other gods. They're just stupid. Who wants a stupid God? Amen. The Bible says this is the only wise God. And we have the greatest message in the world. So that's why Paul is saying, don't become a leaky faucet. John said the very same thing. I'll tell you what a leaky faucet is. It's not turned off and it's not turned on. Lukewarm people don't love anybody. They don't hate anybody. This is not a private praise party where sinners are not invited. All right. I would have thought hot was good. Cold was bad. But that's not what it says to the church of Laodicea in Revelation. It said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. There's an interesting story that goes with this because to the south of Laodicea were hot bubbling springs and a very, very popular place for people to go and sit. Felt it was very therapeutic to their body. And uh, to the north were the mountains, beautiful snow peaks, things coming off of here. So they're still there to this day. They're called aqueducts. It's ancient marvels of engineering. They literally made pipes, pipes out of clay. And, and they, they shipped this boiling hot water from the south to Laodicea. And then they literally brought the cold, clear, melted snow water from the north down to the city. The aqueducts are still there to this day, but they don't work. At least the southern ones don't. Because if you know anything about boiling water, it's got a lot of minerals in solution. And so as this hot water was coming to Laodicea, it didn't stay hot it started getting lukewarm. As it got lukewarm, the minerals that were suspended in solution began to attach themselves to the side of the clay pipes to where in just a short amount of time, the pipes got clogged and Roto-Rooter wasn't around back then. And, uh, and the pipes are still there, just totally full of sediment. It didn't work. The stuff from the north, beautiful, clear, melted snow, wonderful stuff. But as it came from its source to the city, of course, it didn't stay cold. It got lukewarm. People in Laodicea understood exactly what John was saying about. I'd rather be hot or I'd rather be cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. What he was saying to these people is, you're just too stinking lazy to go to the source. You don't want to go to the springs. You want the springs to come to you. You don't want to go to the mountain. You want the mountains to come to you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the same thing with Jesus. You got to go to the source. You can't just expect him to keep coming to you again and again and again. Nobody comes to God unless God's drawing him. But when he draws you, Paul said, don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't take that for granted that it's been that way and it's always going to stay that way. When God is dealing with you, hit it while it's hot. Amen. Get in the kingdom. Get in the body. Become a part of the church of the living God. This is very, very, very important because I don't want to go to a church that doesn't talk about Calvary. And says nothing about the blood of Jesus. And doesn't talk about the name of Jesus. Listen to me again. And at the risk of boring you. It says in John 20 and verse 31. These things are written. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
and that believing you might have life through his name. When you go to Leviticus 17 and verse 11, it says life of the flesh is in the blood. When you go to Hebrews 9 and 22, it says without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So according to John 20, look at Leviticus 17, 11. Life is the power of the blood. What is the power of the blood? Life. It's, they're synonymous. It's the same thing. And I've always believed when you go from, I don't know who said this years ago, but the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. But the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So as you go from the front of your Bible to the back, it's like a flower that's blooming and blossoming. And in the Old Testament, it says life is in the blood. But when you get to the New Testament, it doesn't say it says life is in the name. So now put that all together. According to John 20 and 31, if you have the name, you have life. According to Leviticus 17 and 11, if you've got life, you've got blood. According to Hebrews 9 and 22, if you've got blood, you've got remission. If you've got remission, that's a big deal. God got Alzheimer's. God literally has the ability to forget. The Bible said you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Only God can forget like that. And, and, and so if that's the positive, then the negative holds true. If you don't have the name, you can't have life. If you don't have life, you don't have blood. If you don't have blood, there is no remission. If there's no remission, nothing changed. That's why it's, 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 that's why in the book of Acts chapter five and uh, I don't know, verse 28, they had beaten these apostles and they got them back and they said, didn't we straightly command you? They beat these guys and turned them loose and they're right back out in the street preaching. They brought them back for the second time they said didn't we straightly command you not to preach or to teach in this man's name do you intend to bring his blood are you going to make us the guilty for the death of Jesus Christ are you going to bring his blood on this city absolutely because that's the only way you can bring the blood of Jesus on a city because the blood's in the name ladies and gentlemen Jesus died 2,000 years ago, but there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin and that's blood. Since Jesus died 2,000 years ago, how are you going to access something that happened 2,000 years ago? The blood is in the name. When you say Jesus, there is a power in that name that you'll never find in Jesus. I, I got a cute text not long ago and it said, do you have a problem? Call Jesus. One, whatever, had a phone number. So the guy said, I just called it. He said, all of a sudden, a Mexican showed up with a truck and a chainsaw and a lawnmower. You know, that's Jesus. That's not Jesus, okay? There's a whole difference here. A lot of Spanish kids named Jesus, but they didn't die and resurrect and shed their, uns their unspotted blood for your sin and for mine. Do you understand this? That's why it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven. I guess that's everywhere among men. That's everybody whereby we must be saved. Listen, when you go to church, you need to hear about the cross. You need to hear about the blood. You need to hear about the name because the cross is the heart of the gospel, but the blood is the life of the gospel. And the name is the power of the gospel. Hallelujah. The only thing that can save the sinner, edify the saint, and close the back door on the church is by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how you need to remember it. If you want to preach J-E-S 
U-S. You need to pick the right G-E-S-I-S. The right Jesus requires the right Jesus. Because there are two words that you need to remember. Exegesis and eisegesis. My job today is to provide effective hermeneutical exegesis. All right? If you've ever studied Greek mythology, you will find that they believed in 12 false mythical gods. They were known as the Olympians. The job of these gods was to free people from their fears and explain to them why things happened to them in their life. One of these 12 was a guy by the name of Arme. Some people call him Hermes. You pronounce it Arme. If you're familiar with high fashion accessories, one of the best is a very expensive French extra known as Arme. Arme is the son of Zeus, who's the big kahuna. Arme's job, he was a swift and a very fast messenger who had a special talent. He and he alone could interpret the words of his father Zeus. And he was the one selected to explain to just regular people what his father wanted. So Armes or Arme is the basis of the word hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the Bible. And if you know your history, the Roman equivalent of Arme was Mercury. And that's why in Acts 14 and verse 12, it says they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius or Mercury because he was their chief speaker. The Amplified says they called Paul Mercury because he led in discourse like Arme was the God of speech. So when you talk about hermeneutics, you're talking about correctly interpreting the scripture. The Bible said rightly divide the word of truth. If you can rightly divide it, you can wrongly divide it. Hermeneutics is the science of properly interpreting the Bible. Homiletics, on the other thing, is the art of preaching. It's why all preachers sound different. You speak in a way that is natural to your disposition. The bush that spoke to Moses, the thing that got Moses' attention was the bush caught on fire, but it was not consumed. It didn't just turn into blackened embers and lifeless and the fire was gone, but the bush just kept burning. You're just like preachers. The, the word is coming out of you, but your, your personality remains intact. The bush, you, it's not consumed. I, I, I know of a very powerful country preacher years ago who read that verse in the book of Acts. These men are not drunk as ye suppose. His title was, we ain't drunk as we pose to be. It was unique, but it worked. The bush didn't disappear, though it was on fire with the Holy Ghost. When I was a kid, women used to wear something called sack dresses. It covered everything, but it touched nothing. I've heard a lot of preaching like that. They cover everything, but they, 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 they don't touch anything. And, and listen to me, sermonettes produce Christianettes. Weak preaching produces weak converts. Strong preaching produces strong converts. The Bible says strong meat belongeth to them who by reason of use have their senses exercised to be able to know the difference between good and evil. I, 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 so there, there is a rule. There's a rule in homiletics. You never take a subject that's not contained in the text, which means you don't put your own ideas into it. That's called eisegesis. 
We're not talking about eisegesis. We're talking about exegesis, hermeneutical exegesis. When you, when, when, and it's eisegesis, you make the text say whatever you want it to say. For instance, I know of a church somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole where a pastor lost his way and was not faithful to his wife. And the church board asked him to speak on Sunday and resign. He read the passage where Nathan was confronted by the prophet, or when David was rather confronted by the prophet Nathan after David had had the affair with his best friend's wife. And Nathan told a story about a poor guy that had one sheep, rich guy had lots of sheep. Visitor comes to the rich guy, he crosses the fence, steals his neighbor's one sheep, feeds it to his guest, guest leaves. He still got all he had in the beginning. Poor guy's got nothing. David jumps to his feet and says, tell me, tell me who the guy is and I'll make him pay back fourfold. Nathan then looks at David and said, thou art the man. To which the pastor read that verse and said, see there, here's a guy that committed adultery, but he was still the man. And I committed adultery, but I'm still the man. I'm not going anywhere. That's eisegesis. That's when you're taking your own thoughts and making the Bible say what you want it to say. If you're a talented woman and you grew up in a male-dominated society, it's very possible you'll preach a feminist gospel. If you grew up broke, it's very possible that you're going to preach an economic gospel. If you grew up with racism, you're probably going to preach a race-based gospel. But understand, the basis of salvation is not... It's, it's Jesus. It's, 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 it's not feminism. It's not finances. It's not casting all restraint. It's not race or creed. Financial preaching won't save anybody. We'll just be the richest guys in the graveyard and the richest guys in hell. Okay? That, that's what we're dealing with. You just, just understand that, that exegesis means to lead out. It is, it is when your explanation of a scripture is objective and it's carefully analyzed. It means to draw proper meaning out of the text. And when a person interjects their own meaning into the text, that's not exegesis, that's eisegesis. When a person wants something to, to say something it doesn't say, that's, that's, that's eisegesis. I, I want to be an exegetical preacher. I want to preach what it really means, not what I think it means. Now, do you understand what I'm talking about? J-E-S requires the right G-E-S-I-S. If you're going to have the right Jesus, you don't need eisegesis. You need exegesis. I don't like hearing preaching that makes me do dumb stuff. There may be a time in your educational process that you will have the treat of taking a class on logic. And when you study logic, you will find something known as the law of contradiction. The law of contradiction that states that A cannot be A and non-A at the same time. It means that in order to be a contradiction, one subject, one statement has to subtract from the other. It has to oppose it. Benjamin Disraeli was a prime minister of Great Britain in the 1800s. He, to much to his great dismay, he was unseated. So he had to become a part of what is known as the opposition party. They interviewed Disraeli one time and they said, why is it you're always negative and you're always against what the other side proposes? And he said, I'm in the opposition party and the duty of the opposition party is to oppose. Which sounds a lot like politics today. I don't care what you want to do, I'm against it. Listen to these verses. Last chapter of the book of Luke. 
almost all the way to the end. This is what Luke remembered Jesus saying. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is the last chapter of the book of Mark. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is the last chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28 and 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Luke said that Jesus told them that gospel should be preached throughout the world in his name. Mark said that that gospel should be preached to every creature. Matthew said that he remembers Jesus telling them to teach all nations. They all agree that they were being sent by Jesus. They all agreed and said the same thing. Now, if Mark said that what they were supposed to do and Luke said what they were not supposed to do, now you got a contradiction. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't contradict one another. This is known as the Great Commission. Go into the world. Now, let me ask you two questions. And before I ask you these two questions, I'll give you the answers. The answers are no and no. Here are the questions. Is the final saving name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Here's my second question. Does Matthew 28, 19 refer to three persons? See, if Jesus is not the final saving name, then someone should have told the Apostle Paul that. Because he said in Philippians 2 and verse 9, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Jesus said, all power is given to me, not to the three. It was given to me. People call it the Great Commission. I think it should be called the Great Omission. Because Jesus was telling them to baptize. And uh, he, 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 if, if, Jesus, if Jesus was telling them to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, then why is it that none of them obeyed him? Were they all disobedient? There's no place in the entire New Testament where anyone was ever baptized with the words found in Matthew 28 and 19. So my question is, were all of those men wrong? It says in the, listen, listen, after Jesus resurrected, listen to what Luke said in 24. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Did they all misunderstand Jesus even after he had opened up their understanding? Because Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 16, it says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's Acts 10, 48 with Peter and Cornelius. It said he commanded them commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Acts 19 and 5. People who have been baptized already by none the less than John the Baptist 
were rebaptized. And it said when they heard this, they were baptized or rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's Acts 22, when Paul was giving his testimony, be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. All right, listen to what Paul said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. I submit to you that they understood Jesus perfectly and did exactly what they understood when he opened up their understanding. Some people, they, you know, there are some things you can believe and, and they, don't, they, they basically amount to innocent misunderstandings. I'll give you an example. There are just a lot of people who think that Adam and Eve ate an apple. The Bible doesn't say an apple. It talks about the fruit of the tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was, but somehow through time, people think it's an apple. I don't think that's a heaven or hell issue, okay? The people say, hallelujah is the highest praise. Well, hallelujah is two words, halal ye yah. And so yah is a contraction of Jehovah. Amen. That's, that's God in spirit in the Old Testament. Halal is a Jewish command to praise. So when you say hallelujah, it means praise Jehovah. All right. Now I'm a hillbilly. Okay. Where I live, they say hallelujah. They don't say hallelujah. And I don't know if yah gets upset being referred to as your or not, but it seems to work. All right. All right. And so, so if I say praise the Lord and you say hallelujah, all you did was take what I said in English and you translated it back to me in Hebrew. You didn't do what I said. You translated what I said. You can't pray for anybody in hallelujah. You can't heal anybody in hallelujah. You can't baptize anybody in hallelujah. Hallelujah is not the highest praise. The name of Jesus is better than a thousand hallelujahs. Jesus' name. There are some things that are harmless mistakes, but when you talk about sin and salvation, you better get it right. Make your peace, calling and election sure. All right? I've taught you that Matthew, he wrote to the Jews. That's why he introduces Jesus as the lion, the king. All right? Mark wrote to the Romans and he presents Jesus as a servant. Luke wrote to the Greeks. He presents Jesus as a man. John wrote to the world and presented Christ as God in flesh. So Matthew taught you what Jesus taught. Mark told you what Jesus wrought. Luke taught you what Jesus brought. John taught you what Jesus thought. But none of them told you how to be born again. Matthew taught you that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Savior. Mark said he was a powerful Savior. Luke said he was a personal Savior. John said he was a personal Savior. But you got to go to the next book, to the book of Acts, when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I, I've been on the road, after daddy left, I, I, I ended up in Dallas and, 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 and spent a weekend there, and I flew back on Monday, 
and found out a dear friend of mine was, was gone and I had to go to South Carolina to, to do his funeral and the funeral lasted four hours and I'm sitting on the platform and my back is hurting and I thought I must have pulled a muscle and it kept getting worse and worse and worse and after four hours, man, I, I just got a few minutes to catch my plane. I stood up and spoke for 10 minutes and sat down. Pastor Mike was there with me. I said, take me to the airport. He said, you know what? We're probably not going to make the plane. Why don't, why, why don't we just get a motel and we'll spend it? And I said, no, I, th- I think I need to go home. And boy, I had no idea I was prophesying at that moment because I went to Atlanta, spent a couple hours in layover. I got home 1.30 in the morning. By two o'clock, I told my wife, you take me to the hospital. Something bad, bad, bad wrong with me right now. I think I have a kidney stone. And so she took me to Beaumont and, and I said, just go home and get some sleep. I'm I'm going to be here for a while. They put me and do a CAT scan. This lady said, well, congratulations, Mr. Hoffman. You were right. You have a kidney stone and you're going to get to join the club. And all I can remember is the words of one of the good men in this church who's had multiple kidney stones. And one of the nurses told him, honey, I've had three babies and I've had one kidney stone. I'd rather have a baby than have a kidney stone. And this thing's gone through my mind and this thing is bam, bam, bam. And I said, can you do, oh, honey, I got something for you. And she gave me this thing called Dilatin. Oh, hallelujah. Man, I mean, the angels were singing. The pain was gone. It was beautiful. I mean, beautiful. And I asked her, how long is this going to last? Two hours. She wasn't kidding. It was not a minute 119. It was not a minute 121. At minute 120, Dilatin left the premises. I'm screaming and yelling. There's literally a guy beside me screaming, going out of the, I mean, it's like, I understand exactly what he's going. It's like, oh man. And she and there's COVID patients everywhere. And she said, now here's your options. You can stay here and we'll admit you. And she said, or you know, you stay here and be in pain or you can go home and be in pain. I said, I'll go home and be in pain. So I was there for two days and it was not a good day. And when I found that little culprit that gave me all that grief, I'm saying, are you kidding me? Something about the size of a sesame seed? That, that's what did all this to me? And it, all of a sudden all these men kept talking to me. Wow. I understand what you went through, Pastor Robin. And it, it, it was like, I never experienced pain like that in my life. So the next day I got on a plane and I had to go to Jackson, Mississippi. I got back late night. I spoke two times here, spoke in another church, three times that day. All of a sudden, boom. Then I got to go to, I went to Alabama, to Birmingham, stayed there for three days, came back late, had to go do a men's conference in Claire out, out there in the west part of Michigan. And, just, and, 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 and so I preached here last Sunday and I, I come home and said, oh, oh, what is that? I can't sleep all night. And I get up in the morning. I call my dentist. and said, you need a root canal, Pastor Hoffman. Root canal? Are you? I, I floss twice a day. You told me if I floss, I wouldn't have any of this problem. You need a root canal. And, 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 and so they sent me to an oral surgeon. He said, oh, bless. Uh, um, you're out of my league here. We're going to do something else here. And they're just drilling on me. And it was like, ah. And I'm going, dear God. God have mercy. I'm worse lap out from planes and lumpy beds and motels. And then I got a, I got, I got a, I got a kidney stone. And now two weeks later, I got a root canal. And, and all I can think of through all this is, is my dear friend, Jim Foote, who every day of his life goes through pain like this again and again. And I'm saying in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I need you to do a miracle. Stand with me. 
The Bible says in the book of, Christ, book of Acts, Jesus Christ, a man approved of God with miracles, signs, and wonderful wonders. Isaiah said, don't forget his first name. Thou shalt call his name Wonderful, which means he's full of wonders. I don't care if he does a healing. I don't care if he does a miracle. I want Jim Foote healed. And I will see that because of my adamant up in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So I took two days off. And I'm sitting in a tree Friday. Beautiful. Beautiful, man. And I'm looking at the clouds. It's just what I do. Everything I see, I interpret it through the Bible or church. And all of a sudden, I look at the clouds and I go, I got it. I finally got my mercy illustration. Because one of the most depressing books in the Bible is the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And if you know your Bible books, there's Jeremiah and there's Lamentations. And it's a short little book, but boy, is it depressing. Because he realized his nation was in trouble. And he's not a feel-good kind of guy. He's just going to tell you the way it is. And the glass is half empty, according to Jeremiah. And he's lamenting, he's weeping. But right in the middle of one of the most depressing books in the Bible is this verse. But his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness unto me. And for years I'm saying, because I I did a lot of homework on this word new. And when it says his mercies are new every day, you go to the grocery store and they talk about new and improved. That's the old stuff with a new box, okay? Maybe they add a little bit of this, a little color, a little dye, whatever. But it's basically the stuff that you could have had last week, but it's it's improved and it's going to cost you a buck 89 more, all right? That's That's just the way it is. But when we're talking about the mercies of God, it's not new and improved. The, the, the Hebrew word literally means new. New means new. In other words, today, you and I have an as, a, access to an aspect of his mercy that has never been available to this world. In the history of the human race, today, you and I, and I'm saying, how, wow, think of the variations. Think of the numbers. How in the world can I convey that? And I'm sitting in a tree Friday, and the Lord said, look at my heavens. Have you ever seen two of them exactly alike? And it's like, I got it. I got it. I've never looked at the clouds and saw a formation. Oh, that's a very same clouds. Close guy was here yesterday. I guess with clouds, I guess with bluebirds, you could say it's the same. But when you deal with clouds, it's always different. Look at the variations of clouds, cumulus and, and nimbus and on and on and on. You can go with these different kinds of clouds. Have you ever looked at a cloudy sky and say, oh, that's exactly the way it was three weeks ago. Yeah, that one was there. This one, it's not, it's brand new. You need to use that illustration of mercies. You have access to an aspect of his mercy today that's never been available before, but it's in the name. It's in the name. It's in the name. It's in the name. Come with me. Come with me around the park. Come with me around this hole. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm not going to be one of these false prophets who say, I think there's somebody over here to my right that's got scoliosis. Let me be honest with you. Everybody's got scoliosis, okay? Spines aren't straight up and down. Spines go like this, all right? Now, I realize some people got it worse than others. But the truth is, every one of our spines are curved, all right? I'm not playing them dumb games. But I am here to say, I am confident there's somebody here today that's not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very probable there's somebody here suffering in their body. I know there are people in this room right now that are under oppression and under attack. 
That's why it does not say of sins. The prepositional phrase, uh, it's not in heat. People say, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. It doesn't say that. It says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Because if you're just going to use the blood for sin, then you're going to have to deal with the blood and water that came out of his side. But what about those stripes on his back? Those were not for your sins. The Bible said, by his stripes, we are healed. Read the book of Genesis and how God cursed the ground and it produced thorns and thistles. And it says that that was a sign of the curse. But Jesus Christ took a curse, turned it into a crown, pressed it into his brow. Blood is streaming from his head. Why? Because the blood from his brow is bomb for your brain. There are people here today frightened oppressed. Amen. Despair. Let me tell you about the blood. You cannot limit the, if there's one thing to sin and the blood can't fix, it can't fix anything. The blood of Jesus can heal you spiritually. It can heal you physically. It can heal you mentally. There's a power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you've never been baptized, why tarry? Why wait? Get baptized today. Wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Amen. Remember the Bible? Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. It'll bind their nobles with chains and their kings with fetters of iron. This honor, this privilege has all of the saints. So if you're here and you've got to walk with God, worship and sing with these people. And if you need a deeper commitment with God, then let's fix that today. I'm here to be an exegetical preacher. I'm here to be a hermeneutical exegete. I'm here to try to tell you as best as I know what the Father is trying to say to this world. And I'm not trying to interject my own opinions or my own slant. I've talked and I've quoted the word of the Lord to you today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God bless you. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name, Jesus. Jesus in the darkness.